Our series is on the I Am's of Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of John, John writes the Gospel showing over and over again that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Every Gospel has a different focus. The Gospel of John has the focus of Jesus as God. And uh, one of the ways that John does that is he highlights seven different occasions where Jesus uses the statement, I am blank. If I were to tell you this morning that I am a pastor, you would focus on pastor. But in a Jewish world, when the statement I am was made, that had a whole different meaning. You see, that linked back to the Old Testament. The I am statement particularly from the words of a rabbi or teacher, uh, grabbed people's attention. Because what happened was when God calls Moses to lead the children of Israel out of the promised land, one of Moses' questions to God is, God, when I go to Israel and I say that, that we're to go out of the land, they're going to want to know by whose authority I'm doing this. Why, what do I tell them? And in that particular situation, God tells Moses, you tell them I am that I am has sent you. That Jehovah, and he takes it and expands a little bit further, Jehovah, Yahweh has sent you. And so that idea of I am was in, in, closely in the Jewish mind linked to God. So when Jesus is speaking and Jesus says, I am blank, I am the bread of life, the fact that he said I am, they're thinking Moses and God... And then he uses an analogy of something that was often, you see this often in the life of Christ, he uses common everyday kind of stuff. So he says, I am the bread of life. And we talked about that. We've talked about the idea of what Jesus meant when he said, I'm the bread of life. Um, last week we talked about when he said, I am the light of the world. And this morning and next week we're going to look at two, and they're actually tied together. I'm breaking them up a little bit because they're, they're two separate ideas but yet they're all told in context of the same story. So with that in mind, we're going to go to um, John chapter 10, is, uh, is where we're going to be reading from this morning. And uh, let's see, guys, you got me up? There we go. What he does is Jesus is, uh, th this is coming off of a story where uh, Jesus has uh, basically um, taken care of Again, we're coming off of, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world. Uh, he comes to John chapter 10, and here's what he says, truly, truly. In other words, verily, verily, wake up, pay attention. All right, everybody needs to know this. So he's saying, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he's a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep, to him... The doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and heads them out. Then he goes on, and he says this. And when he puts forth all of his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they'll flee from him because they don't know the voice of the strangers. Now, this figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they didn't understand the things which he had been saying to them. So Jesus says this, and everybody looks at him like, eh? What do you mean? What are you talking about? So Jesus goes on and tries to clarify it a little more, and here's what he says. So Jesus says, and then again, 
Okay, pay attention one more time. We're going to go through it again, all right? I'm going to slow it down for you this time. All that came, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't hear them. I am the door. He says it again. It's like third time. Okay, get it now. Truly, truly, listen up, pay attention. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. And will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. So now Jesus steps back and he tries to explain this to him. Now here's our problem. When you and I hear, I am the door, what do you think about? A door, right? Like car door, house door, all kinds of doors. I don't want you to think that way, okay? Um, If that helps you, then okay. But this isn't what this passage is talking about. In the next phrase, in the next passage, he's going to say, I'm the good shepherd. That's what we're going to talk about next week. But he links this idea of I'm the door and I am the good shepherd to the concept of sheep. And the concept of sheep in the New and the Old Testament. What would happen is the shepherds, it's not like today. You know, if you have animals right now, you probably, hopefully, you have them fenced in somewhere. Okay? They're not just like running all over the countryside. Back then, they ran all over the countryside. And the way that you kept them together was you put somebody in charge of them. And that person, called a shepherd, would then lead them. And, and when, when they had eaten in an area and the grass and stuff had been eaten down, the shepherd would lead them to another area. And when, when the shepherd would lead them to another area, he would have to kind of get them to cross streams and creeks and stuff like that. And they would get in there. But here's a question. What do you do with them at night? So what would happen is they would set up these little corrals, if you will, all over the countryside. And so they were just kind of a, think of it as like a public corral. And it was kind of known that anybody could go in at any time with their animals to keep them safe from predators at night. That's the way it was set up. So here is, a, here is an illustration of one. And you can see they just took a whole bunch of rocks and they've got how many doors? One. One, let me, you're farmers, let me help you. One gate. One, okay? Not two gates, but one. One gate going in, okay? Here's some actual ones. See how they're all piled up and there's one door that gets into that place? So this is what they do. They would lead their sheep in at night. And note, here's another one. Notice how they got the rocks sitting up so if somebody tries to climb over, a fox or another animal. Um, this is what they used to do on the hillside, by the way. Um, is uh, or, or on, on uh, fortress walls, uh, what they would often do is they'd embed uh, glass, sharp rock, bone, that kind of thing in, so that if an enemy reached up and over, they'd just pull back a you know, cut up stub. Um, this was kind of the same idea. This kind of kept the animals from jumping over the top of it. Uh, this is the uh, an ancient version of barbed wire. Uh, 
Here is a picture of what it would be like at night with a shepherd. The shepherd lays the only way in. This is where he would sleep. The only way in. So if a sheep was going out, it had to step over the shepherd. And if something was coming in, it had to step over the shepherd. When Jesus says, I am the door, this is what he's talking about. This is the analogy that, that he is using. And when you go through the passage, it's interesting. He, he talks about, you know, he's coming off of the story with the, with the man born blind. He, he, he says, look, I'm the door um, of the shepherd. And, and, and here's what would happen. The, the shepherd, so let's say we've long day, they've been out eating, everything else. The shepherd would just simply say, hey, guys, let's go this way. Uh, gals, I mean, there's gal sheep too, but, you know, uh, let's go this way. And everybody would follow. If I walked up and said, hey, follow me, nobody follows. They take off the other direction. Why? They don't know me, but they know the shepherd, and they know the shepherd's voice. And all the shepherd would have, and the shepherd lived with these, these animals, you know, he, you know, he, he, you know, he's like some of you are with your, your dogs and your cats. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're basically children. They sleep with you. They eat your food. They, they, you know, I mean, they're just with you 24-7. If I walk into your house and try to get your dog to listen to me, pff, look at me like a three-headed monster. Like, you ain't my owner. You don't take care of me and feed me. I'm going to go listen to the person who spoils me. That's the person who I'm following. And in the same way, it, it was like, so what would happen is the, it, the shepherd would go, okay, come on, come on, come on, come on. And then when he got to the enclosure, often what a shepherd would do is a shepherd would stand there, and as the sheep came in, he would look at them. He would inspect them. If, for instance, it was a bad time of the year and flies were getting in them, he'd put oil on their head to keep the flies off. You do this with some of your animals, Okay. Remember, David, thou anointest my head with oil? It was, it was the idea of taking care of him. It was the idea of protecting um, He would inspect him. Oh, that one's got a cut. I need to take care of that. He would check them all out as they all went in, and he would count them to make sure that he had the right number. Remember the story Jesus tells of the 99? You know, I went in a chicken coop the other night. We have 12 chickens. Okay. <sighs> Okay, <clears throat> my wife wanted these chickens, you know, no, <laughs> this is, if you, they, um, if you weren't in Sunday school a couple weeks ago, Mr. and Mrs. Mug bumping, okay, when we bump, we bump over whether I wanted the chickens or whether she wanted the chickens, okay, I say it's her, she says I'm lying, um, but anyway, we have 12 chickens, okay, realistically we got them because Claire likes them, okay, so and my wife does like eggs. I don't eat eggs. I'm not an egg person. I don't know why. I just don't. So my wife eats one egg a day, and we have 12 chickens. You do the math. Okay? Oh, and, and we're up to, you know, we got them as little chicks, and now they're all laying, so we're getting somewhere between 10 and 11 eggs a day. Uh, and so anyway, so every night, everything at my chicken coop is pretty much automatic, Right? Uh, if I could figure out how to shoot the eggs from the chicken coop to the house, I'd, it'd be golden. But I haven't figured that out yet. So my chicken coop door goes up and down automatically. So 
at, in the morning it goes up and the chickens can go out and, do, and play around in the little chicken yard thing. And then at the end of the day, as it starts to get dark, the light comes on in the chicken coop. They, they have learned now to walk in towards follow the light. And they, they follow the light and then, then the door goes down and they're in for the night. So I got all this figured out. But I still, once in a while, the door does its own little thing. And once in a while, one chicken's not smart enough to get in and follow the light. So every night, I still have to walk down there and check on these chickens. So I go down a couple nights ago, and I always count. So, you know, one, two, three, four. And we, we've, got, we've got three groups of four of the same. So, uh, you know, kind of, so I, I count and I do the, and, and it's just kind of, you know, you know how it goes, you just don't pay attention to it. And I count, and there's 11. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. So I count again. And, and our number's dyslexic, but 11 is not a problem, okay? Um, so I got, I, got, I got 11 of them, and I'm going, okay, I'm losing one. So I, I look out in the chicken yard. I go outside. I look out in the chicken yard, and there's no, there's no chicken out there. And I'm going, oh, don't tell me. And so I go back in, and I count again, and I count 11. And I'm thinking, what in the world? You know, because now what's going through my head is, how do I tell Claire and she has them all named, that Moana or whoever it was died. Um, you know, and then I'm thinking, well, they're Jean's chicken, she can tell her. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, so anyway, so, so I, I, I get this, I, I, and I'm thinking, what in the world? And I'm thinking, where in the world? And I thought, you know what? I wonder if it's hiding underneath the nesting boxes. So I get down there and look under, and sure enough, there's number 12 underneath the, the, the thing. But I was, I mean, it was a little panic because I'm trying to find number 12, you know. A new number 12 was put in. This was, that's the story with Jesus. It's like he's, he says, I'm the door. So he stands there checking them all out as they come in, counting them all, making sure that they're all there. And he's taking care of them. And we'll talk more about this when we talk about the Good Shepherd next week. But the idea here is that Jesus is paying attention, and here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, the only way in is over me. Anyone who tries to get in there any other way is a thief and a robber. They're coming in to take. They're coming in to hurt. They're not coming in to help. And Jesus makes this statement and says, you need to understand, I am the door. And, and when he makes the statement, at first they don't get it, so he goes back over it again. And he says, I'm the door. Anyone who comes through me, they're in. They're in. They are part of my flock. But they have to come through me. They come through me. I'll take them as they are. I will help get them all fixed up. And, and this is the part that I want to focus on this morning. I want to focus on the last part of the verse. Where he says, the thief comes in to steal, kill, destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it abundantly. And that's what I want us to focus on a little bit this morning. Where Jesus looks at us and says, look, you need to be very, very clear about who you're following. You're either following the true shepherd who comes to give you life and give it abundantly, or you are following, following a false shepherd 
who steals, kills, and destroys. When you become a Christian, one of the things that happens is God says, look, I'm going to help you to live the best possible life you can live. Satan, on the other hand, says, I want to ruin you. I don't want you to do that. So Satan's primary job, and this is what you just need to tattoo in the back of your head, is to steal things from your life. All he wants to do is take things from your life. Kill, destroy. He wants to take things that he knows will provide a certain thing, sell you on something else, so that you take the bait, and then the next thing you know, you find out the price tag is higher than you thought. It's kind of like, it's kinda, and don't get me wrong, if you're an infomercial person, God bless you, um, but do the math. Okay, you know, uh, you know, what happens is, you know, they, they, they convince you of something that you don't need, but now you need. And then they tell you for only $29.95 plus shipping and handling plus five easy payments. And the next thing you know, you've paid $400 for something you could have bought at the store for $75. But we have a special offer for you today. And we'll give you two, you know, and we'll throw in this and we'll throw in this 99 cent thing and make you think you're getting like a $20 item. That's how they do it. They, 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 they bait you that way. Satan says, look, that's what God says. Christ says, look, steal, kill, and destroy. That's what, that's what Satan's going to do in your life. He's going to bill it as, as it looks great this way, but the price tag is far greater than you realize. So. God comes along and God says something like, forgive. And Satan says, get revenge. You'll feel better. Give him a piece of your mind. Don't let him treat you like that. God says, submit to one another. Satan says, you know what? You demand your rights. How dare you let how dare you let your wife make you think it's your responsibility to take out the trash? She put stuff in that trash can too, didn't she? Why is it my job? All of a sudden you're focusing on, well, I can't believe that they, 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 they talk to me like that. Have you ever talked to somebody in a way that you shouldn't have talked to them? And yet we, 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 we fall for this. God says give. Satan says take. God says humble yourself. Satan says, be proud. God says, wait. Be patient. The world says, now. Get it now. Don't wait. Don't wait. In fact, we'll give you no interest for an entire year. That's what we'll do. This is the deal. And you know what? We'll break it down so you can afford it, even though you can't. Why? Because that, that, that's the way of the world. God says, serve others. Satan says, it's all about you. It's all about you. And, and, and what happens is we, we get so bent out of shape on it. And Christ said, look, I, I've come so that you can really learn how to live life 
in an abundant, balanced, healthy way. He's given us a whole book of ways and things to do and, and, and ways to, from everything from how we talk to people to how we handle our marriages to how we, we work with our employees or employers to how we spend our money to how we raise our kids. God says, look, I, I'm going to help you with all of this. Here's my way. And the world says, here's our way. And I'm going to tell you, no matter what, that is always, in the end, a bad deal. And often we just forget it. So my challenge to you is, is going to come down to this idea of what does it mean for us when Jesus says, I'm come that you might have an abundant life. There are people who will tell you what that means is that God's going to just bless your socks off with a whole bunch of money. Let me tell you something. Personally, one-on-one. If I could make the Bible say that and generally be honest with the Bible, I'm all in. I'm all in. Let me tell you something. If I thought the Bible could teach the prosperity gospel that just means that, you know what, the more you serve God, the more money you make, all in, baby. You know, all in. But, but it doesn't say that. When Jesus talks about an abundant life, he's talking about a life of purpose. He's talking about a life that is focused. He's talking about a life that is balanced. Um, yesterday I was reading a deal, a deal by Rob Iger, who he's the... He's the CEO of Disney. And they were interviewing him, and they were talking to him, and one of the things that they asked him, asked him about was something that he did for an entire summer. And one summer, one of his jobs was to do nothing but scrape chewing gum off the bottom of school desks. He did that for a whole summer. Okay? And they asked him about that. You know, they, okay, you went from that to this. You know? And, 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 and how do you cope with all, with all that balance. And here's what he said. This, I love this because I've never heard this term before. He said, you know what that summer taught me? That summer taught me to tolerate monotony. And I thought, that's brilliant. Because we're raising generations of people who can't do that. We're raising generations of people who you could not say, okay, you have three months of scraping chewing gum off a desk. They'd look at me and go, after their first day, well, pff, you know what? They wouldn't even let me have my phone. I can't do that every day. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Those of you who are adults here, can you imagine? The second your job became monotonous, you quit. You're like, I'd be unemployed. Bing, 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 bing. Guess what? Guess what? That's what's happening. Why? Because we have a college, we have a, we have a, we have a, a, a whole culture that doesn't know anything about that. We have a whole culture where it's all about them. And, and by the way, we've, we're the ones who produced it, so don't be too hard on them. All right? We're the ones who looked at them and said, I don't want you to have it as hard as I have it. And we made it easier. Now we're complaining because they want the easy road. Duh. You know, I mean, honestly, this idea of, of being easy for your kids, you know, it, it costs us in the end. And, and I want to challenge you, especially those of you who are young parents. Okay, man, let me tell you something. Teach your kids how to work hard and teach your kids how to do what they're supposed to do, they will be employed for the rest of their life. 
And I, I see this over and over again because, you know, what, but what happens is, here's what, here's what I see happening with us as adults right now. And it's happened in my life too. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. Um, we have gotten into this routine where we run faster and faster and faster. So it just jotted out. Here's a typical day for most of you, okay? Here's a typical day for most of you. You get up, brush your teeth, shower, shave, make coffee, start your car, drive to work, punch a clock, work, take a break, work, take a break, short lunch, work, drive home, stop at the store, get home, change, get the kids ready, drive to the sports car, sports event, eat supper on the road, get home, kids to get bed, get ready for bed, sleep, get up, and repeat it five times. And then what happens is you wonder why I'm exhausted and life isn't enjoyable anymore. And you look forward to the weekend. And you know what you do on a weekend? You run just as crazy. And then you go, I don't understand why there's no enjoyment or, or, or balance or everything else in my life. And then you have people who have treated you a certain way or hurt you or said something to you or done something to you, and that adds to it. And you go, then you go, you go out exhausted, beat up, depressed, not enjoying life, and then you go to your, your, your buddy at work and you go, you need to be a Christian. Really? Oh, yeah, because what you got is really appealing, you know? And we wonder why. We're talking about this in Sunday school. We wonder why the gospel's not appealing to people anymore. Because we've gotten in this thing where we've gotten so out of balance that we don't understand what it means to really be in tune with the shepherd and have an abundant life. And so the idea of wonder and awe and and relaxing and the idea of appreciating the moment and the idea we're running too fast to do any of that some of you get so uncomfortable in silence that you have to get up and do something that should be a warning sign to you some of you have been brought up to believe that if you are not producing something you're lazy and unproductive and worthless you would do very well to study Genesis. Because here's what you find in Genesis. I'm going to give you the short version of it. God creates the world with rhythm. There's a pattern. Day, night. Light, darkness. Seasons. Do you know what happens in winter? The ground rests. Do you know what God does? God who is God who needs no rest. You know what God does for an entire day? Nothing. Except focus and appreciate and enjoy that which he has created. You go, well, yeah, yeah, but that's a waste of a good 24 hours. Your body was designed to run in a pattern or rhythm as well. One of the great things about pre-electric days 
people got rest because they couldn't work at night because oil was too expensive to burn or kerosene was too expensive to burn. So they shut off the lights and went to bed and got up when the sun got up and started to work again. You know, as well as I do, we can burn it all night long. I mean, we got we got we got combines and tractors now. I'm telling you what we pull in, pull into a field right now and it looks like a football field. That thing's so lit up. Why? And, and I'm not saying you don't do that, but I'm just saying when we get to a point, and I'm not saying there are not seasons where you, 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 you run it at both ends and you go, but when that is your lifestyle, you know nothing of a balanced, abundant life. Because all of a sudden the things were important, and I'm convinced, I'm convinced, you want to know what I think Satan's greatest tool in 2019 is? Busyness. If I can keep you busy, you don't think about God, you don't think about people, you don't think about other things, all you do is run from one event to the next event. And I think it's time that we step back and we looked at our culture and said, you're not going to be in control of me. I'm going to take a break and appreciate the day that I have. Enjoy the things that I have. Appreciate a balance to life where there is a rhythm and pattern again where there is actually an opportunity for us to learn to say the word no. Instead of thinking we have to say yes to everybody that asks us stuff. You study the, if you want a fascinating study, study the time management of Jesus Christ. And it's, it's amazing to me that when Christ is, some, sometimes when he is the busiest, he looks at all of the opportunity in front of him, and he says, and he goes apart to a mountain by himself. Now, wait a minute. What's Jesus doing? He could be far more effective if he stayed there and continued to heal people. You know how many more people he could have healed? You know how many more people he could have? But if God, the creator of the universe, says, this is important, guess what? I mean, you think you don't need it? You don't think I don't need it? And we've got to get to this idea of understanding that this abundant life thing is, is really, it is a life of balance. It is a life where you focus on that which is important. Those of you with young kids, listen to me. Blink. Because that's how fast they'll be out of your life. They will grow up and so fast you will blink and it will be over. Step back and realize, you know, best, some of the best advice I ever heard, uh, it was at, it was at um, one of the um, uh, seminars we do down in um, marriage conference things down in uh, Omaha. And i never forget, there was a young couple, they, they were team teaching, the young couple stood up and she, they were, the young couple was talking about how do you get your kids to clean the room? And she was talking about all the things that they do to get their kids to clean the room. I'll never forget the older couple then stood up. And the guy, the guy said this. He said, um, I appreciate everything they just said. He said, but let me tell you another perspective. He said, we raised our kids. Our kids are all gone. They've all moved away now. He said, every day as I walk back to my office, I walk past their rooms and they are immaculate. He said, do you have any idea what I would give to walk past a messy room now? He said, but they're gone. And I focused on them cleaning the room. 
And I, I just want to challenge you because that's what happens. A balanced life starts putting stuff like that in perspective. A balanced life starts saying, okay, what's important? An abundant life starts saying, Jesus said these things are important. This is what I'm going to focus on. The world says do it this way. Jesus says do it this way. So I'm going to do it that way. And what you find is, and this is what happened, what you find is this idea of Christianity is not just a, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, everything's okay, but it is a whole different way of living life. And I think if we had a whole bunch of people who started doing that, that we would have an entire world coming to us going, I want what you've got. But we have to do it different. We have to step back and start focusing on what's important. And that's what he's talking about. Jesus says, look, I'm, I, I'm the door. I will make you one of my sheep. I will tell you how to, I will take care of you. I will guide you. I will direct you. If I tell you we're going to go this way, we go this way. And if you want to you know, go do your own thing, well, I'm going to go back and try to get you and bring you back. But it's the important thing is this idea of I'm the door. You come in through me. You come in through me, and I love this. Listen to me. What does he say? You come in through me, you will be saved. You're mine. There's no, you know, okay, you got to go do these 10 things or jump through these hoops. So the abundant life, there, there's two aspects of it. There is a here and now aspect to it, and then there's an eternal aspect to it. You know, I mean, I, losing someone's tough. No, there's no way around it. But when I lose someone who's a believer, you know, you've heard me say, if you've seen me do a funeral or you've been in a graveside service, I do all the graveside services about the same. I don't say goodbye. Why? Because the Bible's very clear. When I talk about death for a believer, the Bible calls it sleep. Last night, when you put your head on your pillow last night, did you, did you, were you sitting there going, oh, oh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. You, you went to sleep. And you woke up this morning with a whole new day to start a whole new day and get the whole new opportunity again, right? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Sleep in this world, quote unquote death. Wake up in eternity with God. The last night, I kissed my wife. I said, good night, love you, see you in the morning. That's what I did. Do it every night. Want to stand at the graveside of a loved one? Good night, love you, see you in the morning. It's still hard. Don't get me wrong. I'm not minimizing the whole death thing. But I'm saying, as a believer, it is a whole different deal for me. Why? Because it is an abundant life. And when I deal with somebody who's had a struggle in this world physically, I come to understand that, you know what, as much as I love them, what they're experiencing now, If I could, I don't think it can. If I could, I wouldn't want to drag them away from that to be back here. Because that's all about me, not about them. And, and I just want to challenge you, because if you're not a believer here this morning, and you think there's some other way, there's one door. Any other way somebody tries to get in there, thief, robber. They're not, not genuine. If Christ is the door, then I put my faith and trust in Him. And when He says, 
I'm the door, you come through me, you're saved, you're my child, you're my sheep. Amen. Amen. And, and I just want to challenge you because we have that hope, but we also have the hope that it's not just about heaven, it's about how we live life here. And so my challenge to you is ask yourself this. As you look at your life today, as you look at this past week, joy, peace, patience. You're like, uh, preacher, don't preach on patience during harvest. That's not fair. You know, I get it. Gentleness, meekness, long-suffering. Are you able to look back on this week and say, you know what? It was a great week. It was a great week. I believe as a Christian, that should be the end of every week. It's been a great week. Are you saying you haven't had difficult? No, no, no. I could go through all the difficult stuff that I've had happen this week. But you know what? It's been a great week. And I want to challenge you because Christ came so that we could not just have life, not just have eternal life, but have an abundant life here, a life of balance, a life of perspective, a life where we put the importance on what's important, not on the stuff that, in all candor, rusts, is stolen, passes away. We put it on stuff that really matters. So my challenge goes like this. Jesus is the door to a new way of living life. He gives you the ability to have an abundant, purpose-filled life here. And he gives you the promise of a life with him in a world to come. You cannot possess that life without Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He is the only door to that kind of world. I hope you have that insurance. And I hope we can take that kind of assurance into a world that needs Christ. Let's pray. Lord, help us, use us, direct us. Lord, it is so easy. We get so caught up in this treadmill kind of life. Where, Lord, at the end of the day, we have a piece of paper with a bunch of checklist things that we've gotten done. But the reality of it is, Lord, we've lost the joy, we've lost the enjoyment, we've lost the sense of wonder and amazement.